Is this the dagger? Oh! Illegal substitution. Too many men on the field. Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Welcome to The Outsiders, which is powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City, episode and podcast 74. Joining us on this podcast from Sportsnet is Brad Fay. Hello, Brad. Guys, how are we doing today? We are doing great. Can I ask you how your week went? Because you were all <laughs> over the place and you're looking a little tired today and I understand why, but tell everybody. Well, yeah, I had to drive home from New York, and normally that would be a flight for work, but because I had been in Cooperstown and then the Canadians made the run that they did, they got in touch with me on uh, Tuesday night and said, can you go down to the Hall of Fame or from the Hall of Fame to New York City for the U.S. Open after the Hall of Fame ceremony on Wednesday. So that's not a big deal, another three-hour drive. We only drive to Cooperstown because you can't fly there. It's kind of a weird location it's halfway between anything so anyway i'm tired because i had to drive the nine hours back myself from new york city but if there's going to be a reason to do that i saw a couple uh you know second ever canadian to go into the hall of fame uh in cooperstown and a second ever canadian to make the grand slam final at the u.s open so uh, a pretty pretty impressive week to say the least. Well, let's talk. History. Let's talk about that baseball Hall of Fame experience. You you went down obviously because Larry Walker was being inducted. But walk us through that whole thing. Yeah, so the, I, it's sort of strange for me because uh, I don't do really do a lot of baseball. I I, I feel, you know backfill our friend Jamie Campbell for three or four games a year, and then in the playoffs, they'll add me for a couple of days when they have the four games, because that's a long, it's a marathon, it could be 14, 15 hour days. So I'll do the two early ones, Jamie will do the primetime one. So, but the Hall of Fame is something that they just, you know, it's it's my off season from the Raptors, and it's been a run here where normally we wouldn't go, but we had Tim Range was the first one, then Vladdy Guerrero Sr., and then Roy Halladay two years ago, they didn't have it last year, which would have been Larry Walker. So essentially it's four in a row. So they sent me down. I love Cooperstown. I'm not a baseball junkie per se, but I, first of all, I love the town. If anyone's been, it's incredible. I kind of compared it to, um, and it's kind of funny, but Main Street USA and Disneyland, if anyone's ever taken their kids or been, it's just that turn of the century, beautiful little place on, on a lake, and it comes alive for the one weekend a year. But you feel the history. I think baseball, as much as I'm, as I say, I'm not a huge baseball historian, I'm a sports historian, and nobody does it better than baseball. So just being there, regardless of what you're there for, for that week is pretty cool. Well, I, I tell you, Brad, Bryn and I had a good laugh before we came on. I, I thought I might end up as uh, in Cooperstown myself as a as a writer, but they they took me off the Edmonton Trappers beat before uh, and put me on the Oilers before I could go to Montreal. I actually talked to the Montreal Gazette the sports editor at the time, because they were looking for a baseball writer, but there was also, I think Jeff Blair was there. Yeah, yeah, um, he was, yeah. 
but they they were uh, there was word that they might be moving so uh, that didn't go very far but anyway you know it's interesting you talk about uh cooperstown uh you know larry walker canadian maple ridge i remember the first year the speaking of the trappers they hooked up with the florida marlins which was goofy because northernmost point in triple a southernmost point in the big leagues so cam cole and i went down there uh to cover it, we went to Cocoa Beach and watched the Expos. And we're standing on the cage watching Larry Walker take BP. And after a while, guys stopped talking because he's hit like 15 or 16 in a row out. Now, yeah, it's it's batting practice fastball, and they're grooving it for him. But it was unbelievable to watch him from six feet away, the mechanics of his swing. All these years later, uh, Hall of Fame player, what a career. I mean, when you look at Walker, do you think of him as a hitter uh, or a, a defensive guy? W- what put him in there in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think he literally, not to take the easy way out and say all of the above, but I think he's one of the great five-tool players ever. And to, yeah. to piggyback on your story of uh, Edmonton to Florida, his first pro contract was the, in, the, in the Florida minor leagues, and he had to drive from Maple Ridge, B.C. to take his car. I think he said his Pathfinder down he was he got two two thousand bucks i think to sign and drove also as far as basically as far as you could go on the continent that he had to, to get down there which is amazing but yeah he just one of those guys what i love his story more than anything is how you know he's such a natural given that we know we played hockey he was a goaltender tried and eventually got cut by the regina pats and decided that oh i'll try baseball he said he played about 12 games a year that's what in canada a lot of the times is the case different now when players are uh, developed early and they'll have indoor training or they'll go to a, an academy down in California, Florida, so they can play. And you know, they're going to be good from the time they're 12. He basically took it seriously at about 18 years old. And now he's in the hall of fame. I mean, to make it to do professional baseball at any level would have been a long shot. So I, I just think it, it, you know, we all love the way he played. And the, the, again, the fact that he could do anything, I would love to highlight where he threw somebody out at first base from right field. I think he was still with the Expos then. But uh, he says, yeah, he goes, if I could take away the the one highlight of me giving the ball to the fan when there was only two out, he goes, that was my, my one regret. <laughs> so here's a guy that was learning, you know, almost felt like he was learning the rules on the way. We can talk about the Expo stuff a lot, but a lot of people seem to remember him more for what he did in Colorado. And everybody talked about the altitude and maybe they were trying to discount his work there, which I, I could never do because it's still hard to hit the baseball, let alone in a ballpark at that altitude. But through his entire career, it, I'm sure he enjoyed playing in Canada, but also playing in the U.S. in some of those markets must have been a lot of fun for him. Yeah, he said that there, one of the reasons he signed, he explained why he went to Colorado and they hadn't built uh, Coors Field, if it's still called that. But at that point, they hadn't built it yet. And they played in Mile High Stadium the first year or two. And the Expos played there. And he said there was 85,000 people when we played against them. And he said, I want to you know, be in a place that likes the game that much. And then he said it reminded him so much of his home, Maple Ridge, with the mountains around the British Columbia Mountains and down the Rockies in Denver. But it just seemed to fit for him. And, and to your point about him being discounted because of the rare, you could, you could say some of that with the home runs and RBI if you want. But three batting titles in four years, hitting the baseball, as you say, squarely has nothing to do with the altitude. And the one year that... The second of his three batting titles, he hit 461 at home that year. 
461. Wow. <laughs> like that, some of that might have been helped. They said they think it's a record. They don't know have any way to really look it up. But he hit, you know, I think he hit 370 or 362 overall, whatever it was. But, you know, three batting titles tells me that you're a lot more than just taking advantage of the altitude to hit the ball out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he used to be able to walk from uh, across the parking lot from McNichols Arena to to Mile High Stadium. And then when they built Coors, you know, there was the, all the stories about the the Blake Street Bombers and all that. You know what? Did it add some points to his average? Yeah. Did he get a ball out of there at Coors Field that maybe doesn't go out somewhere else? Yeah, maybe here and there. But his numbers were so overwhelming. This is not what made him a great hitter. He was a great hitter. Um, I kind of hate to see anything taken away from him because, you know what, he didn't design the park and he damn sure yeah. didn't, didn't uh, <laughs> yeah. decide the altitude that he played at. Yeah, and he's, uh, how about this, he's the first member of the Rockies to go in. They've had that park for, what, uh 25 plus years. And yeah. if it's that easy, then how come there's no other Hall of Famers that played there? And Dante Bichette, his teammate, introduced him. They do it at the Hall of Fame differently. And then people may have seen it on TV. It's not that someone comes up on stage and introduces them like they do in the NFL and the NBA. They have a video tribute, which is great because the player introducing them gets to really think about what they want to say and don't have to be nervous. And Dante Bichette says he's flat out the best player I ever saw play. And I got to see him every day for all those years. So that's pretty high praise. From a sensitivity standpoint, Canadians, you know, we're pretty soft-spoken in a lot of ways. It doesn't look, watching your stuff, it doesn't look like he's changed very much. And I love that. You? Yeah, I agree. And we talked to him in the backyard of the house they rented. And he was pretty casual, pretty you know, self-deprecating. And he... he uh, he talked about, he sort of talked about the story that he eventually told in his speech about where he ran back to first base without touching second, didn't realize it's one of his first games. <laughs> he went past second, had to tag up and ran straight across the pitcher's mount. Uh, and, you know, a lot of guys wouldn't admit to that kind of thing, but just very cool. He asked about, you know, I told him I'm from BC. He asked where I was from. He told me where is, you know, he has his cabin up there in the, in the mountains and just, you know, really cool and kept asking, is that okay? Or should I look here or what do I, you know? And, and was open about the fact that he, he didn't cry, which really surprised me because he said, I'm a crier. And he goes, I, uh, he goes, if I look at my dad, he goes, he just cries thinking about it. He said about his dad, but he's very, you know, very vulnerable, very open. And uh, he, the way he kept thanking the country is pretty incredible. Now, uh, I've lost track of Larry a little, a, a little bit, Brad. What's he doing to keep busy these days? What's happening with him? He's involved with coaching uh, Canadian baseball at the, you know, at the, the academies and with the national program and that kind of thing. So he's giving back. And I think he's uh, one of these guys is, that's happy to, uh, you know, put his feet up, do it. He loves the woods, loves being, you know, hunting and fishing and that kind of thing. It's true to who he was. And uh, that seems to be what's keeping him busy. And the other thing is he's got a new girlfriend who's a fitness buff. And they, when we went to interview him in the backyard, they had just been for a walk and he goes, this is new for me, but he said, it's really helping. So she's got him out hiking and, and running and doing all this stuff and eating well, he said more than anything, because he said, it's, you know, it's tough for any athlete. Once you quit, it's easy to get off your, you know, not that he was uh, the dietitian that nobody was back in those days anyway, but he's a big man and uh, he looks, looks pretty good. And then he says, thanks to a lot to her. Always wanted to go to Cooperstown. What do you do in an off night in Cooperstown when you're not uh, covering what you were covering this uh, this time around? 
Is there a, is there yeah, a hot spot? Is there a big spot to go yeah. to? <laughs> a lot of barbecue, which is uh, cool. It's very, uh, it's got, a, even though it's New York, it's got somehow got a Southern feel in that regard. Um, I, uh, I love the, the little shops in terms of the days. This year was more fun because uh, it wasn't as busy because of COVID. A lot of, they didn't have the parade that they normally do. So I felt bad for the people that, you know, probably you know, a quarter of their income comes from the three or four days with everybody. But a lot of really cool, uh, cool bookstores, sports stores, memorabilia. A lot of the old uh, Hall of Famers come back and sign autographs and things like that. But it's very, very remote. And there's one or two restaurants on the strip. And then it's just basically where you find your way as I do this winding down the, the little back freeways. You're just all of a sudden these, and they're all big. You come by and it's, you know, a place to eat. And it's a giant place with huge patio and picnic tables and all that kind of stuff. So really not a whole lot going on. They have the golf course there that, uh, uh, beautiful little private course that the players come back and play. And I think they all rent houses and, and it's all, any socializing is done within your own sort of, you know, group in these, in these old colonial houses that they rent. So did you, something like this, uh, did you get a chance at least when the uh, camera's not on to, to do a little fanboy stuff? Did you look around and see uh, anybody that you used to watch on TV going, man, what a player that guy is? Yeah, well, Reggie Jackson and Pete Rose were there that's signing together. And I just, I, you know, that's funny because for, for my age, I'm 56, 57. 57 and uh that those two i would say you know were if i had to pick two that represented baseball to me growing up as a youth those would be the two that were the most dynamic there were a lot of others you know those that cincinnati reds team was incredible and the rest of the yankees the oakland a's but reggie and pete rose and they both have their you know sort of their controversy about them and for different reasons but you know two of the best and two of the best clutch guys ever so it, it was kind of cool just to see them and there is a, there is still that I get it more when I see broadcasters and Al Michaels wasn't there because he had the football game the next night, but he was inducted this time as uh, one of the, uh, the broadcast uh, recipients of the hall of fame. I get more of a kick of seeing those guys because it's kind of like, wow, you know, so I watched and this is who I emulated or whatever, but it is still cool when you walk down the, wait a second, that's Reggie Jackson. And there's, there's Pete Rose. That's pretty cool. Okay. So, so, so now you get the call that you got to be shuffling down the freeway to New York city to uh, to handle things for Sportsnet at the U.S. Open. Here's an event. I, I stumbled on this. I, I got dragged one day over to the Arthur Ashe Stadium, and I, I was, you know, the subway trip was exciting, and walking up to the stadium was exciting. I didn't realize how much I was going to enjoy the event until I walked into that stadium. Now, you're going for the very first time. How was it for you? Yeah, it was incredible. It was. It's the one that I wanted to do, and I do, you know, tennis on Sportsnet, so – the, the Rogers Cup, now the National Bank Open. Toronto is fun. Montreal is way better. There's a real atmosphere, and that's the way Montreal does it. It's like a festival. So uh, to do the parallel, I, I love watching Wimbledon, but I prefer the U.S. Open. I like the nighttime. I like what I always call the rock and roll tennis, the New York crowd. Yeah. And it lived up to expectations. The only, only difference is by the time we got there, uh, it was semifinal, so a lot of, you know, not many matches left. There wasn't a whole lot going on elsewhere on the grounds. But the energy in that place is incredible, and uh, and you and this this uh, sheer size, like it's twice as big as basically any tennis, uh, you know, uh, any tennis venue in the world. It's like when you walk into the Bell Center in Montreal, the difference of the size of that is, you know, but that's only four or five thousand seats more than you know, at Scotiabank Arena or Edmonton and Vancouver would have. 
this place is just, it just keeps going and going. And then to have it full and the noise and everything. And then the, the fact they love Layla Fernandez so much that she was their choice, the Canadian, it was, it was fine tingling at times. Pretty cool. You know, Brad, you, you mentioned uh, your age and you're of the vintage where if you followed tennis, there's been a lot of great players, men and women uh, come down the pike Uh now you look down at the women's final, you got an 18 year old against a 19 year old, uh, the new wave. Well, the new wave came long ago for people our age, but <laughs> when you look and see a couple of teenagers, uh, in that final, what does it tell you about the state of women's tennis? Yeah, I think the first thing I think is it's, it's wide open. And, uh, I, I don't know. I sure hope that Layla Fernandez, she says she likes to be called, by the way, Layla Annie Fernandez, but they put it as Layla Fernandez officially all the time, and that's what they kept introducing her as. So we'll make it short in that regard. Um, the I, I'd love to see her, you know, take this step from here, and I don't know if that's going to happen. We, you know, did she did she catch lightning in a bottle this week, or is this the stepping in point for an unbelievable run for ten years? And uh, same with Radicanu. I, I don't know. So, but I think that the women's game is way more wide open. The men's has been close to, to basically three players. And obviously two of them are near the end now, which is sad to see for longtime fans. And then Djokovic seemed like a given. And then he does what he did yesterday and loses in straight sets. So I think that you always have the men, you have that axis that's now floating around Djokovic that you, you're surprised if he's not in a final, whereas women it's, if Serena's not healthy anymore, it's anybody's uh, match. So these two picked the right, uh, you know, the right week to get hot. And they were the two best players by a mile all week. Brad, you mentioned Williams. I don't know that anybody in any era, I mean, it'd be a great discussion. We could do an hour on this, but uh, has been more dominant than than, uh, Serena Williams has. Uh, She's at the end. Where are the, where are the players that are, going to take is there anybody capable of taking that mantle from her or are we going to have somebody wins this weekend somebody wins that weekend can anybody even approach anything that we would call dominance at this point yeah i'm not sure i don't think so yet especially not to that level where she what i just mentioned about djokovic now is what serena was for for maybe 15 years i mean she had waves where she won early and then she went away for five years and basically and then all of a sudden gets excited again it seems like once she wanted to she could could win i think that in terms of canadians i think bianca andrescu i feel has a chance to be she just needs to stay healthy but she uh you know her run last year or two years ago at, at the u.s open after winning in canada i mean that she was completely dominating that wasn't to me lightning in a bottle she's got all the goods but she just seems like uh, you know, just needs to find a way to stay healthy, but still young. They're all, they're all young. All the great players are 21 or under. So we'll, we'll see it unfold. It'll be fun to watch. We talked about the ladies. Got to talk about the Canadian guys. We have, uh, we've got some great talent on the, on the men's side who are just kind of getting there. And then there seems to be a little bit of a stumbling block, but you got to be pumped up if you're a soccer, so- not a soccer fan, but a tennis fan on the Canadian men's side as well. Yeah, soccer fan too. The last two weeks yes. were pretty wild. <laughs> and soccer started with the women's hockey, 12 days of Canadian yep. uh, glory for sure. Um, yeah, no, Felix Ojay Aliasim and Dennis Shapovalov, who were, you know, they come, came along as buddies and it was like, 
you know, Dennis is one year older and they, Dennis stayed at his house in Montreal when, when he beat Nadal and Nadal, uh, Felix had a poster in Nadal on his wall that Dennis took down the night before they played him as a, you know, great tie-ins there, but these guys have been coming. That's the thing is I won't uh, get off on a tangent on Layla, but that came out of nowhere where the two men, the young guys, Felix and Dennis, everybody's been expecting this kind of run for a while. And it just seems it's a real reminder of how good the good ones are. They don't have the lulls like Chapel Valoff made a semifinal of the grand slam. And then he kind of loses the first round in Toronto and struggles a bit, you know, and, and then Felix, same thing where now what does he do with it? Because usually when those guys get there, the very best ones, once they arrive, they never leave, not for any kind of length of time. And it was disappointing in Toronto at the national bank open that both the uh, Shapovalov and Ojalia seem lost in the first round. So great run. And we should note that he was picked the, the sports person of the tournament, the Arthur Ashe award, um, you know, which is pretty wild. And again, just speaks to what we talk about with Canadians and Layla Fernandez with her speech, you know, she had already stolen the hearts in New York, but that when she dropped that about uh, nine 11 and, and uh, I mean, Andy Roddick said, I've never seen anything like it. You know, people were crying and it's so well represented in that regard. And certainly on the court as well. It's not just about being nice Canadians and stepping aside these two and right now are ready to, to win. Um, just back to the women for a sec, Brad, when, when I look at Fernandez, um, I was not aware of her before. I think she was ranked, was she ranked 78? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Bianca, uh, if she, you mentioned staying healthy, um, what's that about with her? Uh, you know, is it a matter of training differently? It seems to have been a remarkably bad run after uh, grabbing everybody's attention with that yeah. huge win. Uh, she hasn't been able to to stay healthy long enough to get much done. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what it is. I don't want to you know speculate and and say she she sure, sure seems to be. Um, I noticed it in the, in this U.S. Open that right away when she came on the court said she looks to be in way better shape. So whether it's fitness that she was held back because of injuries and wasn't able to train the way she, you know, had uh, in, in the last year or so, I don't know. Amidos Roundish just seems to have that injuries and just the way he's put together. Sometimes, guys, it's just hard to, you know, you figure that tennis shouldn't be other than when you see Djokovic do the splits and you think, I would hurt my groin, <laughs> but you don't feel like it's a sport where there should they should be injury prone. But then it's talk about all the twisting and the back muscles and that everything else. It's hard to really pick out sometimes just the way people are built. But I think the next couple of years, if Bianca has, keeps to having the health problems, then it's going to be chronic. Then you know it's not going to go away. But if she gets a, a healthy year or so and puts a couple wins together, then we know that she's on her way. That's what I'm watching for. Hey, before we talk about the Raptors and your involvement, and you got a big day ahead of you, we'll get to that in a second as well. But uh, let's talk about the men's final. I know you didn't get a chance to to see it. I watched the whole thing, and you know the Joker was on fire. He looked absolutely unbeatable all the way through this whole thing, and then just ran up against an opponent who was on his game. But that was a very special moment because we had a guy looking at the Grand Slam. Yeah, and uh, you know you think about how difficult it is, and it's. Uh, he gets, he ends up getting swept and it's like, Oh, a disappointment, but he had probably the second best year that a, a male player has ever had to win three and lose in the final of the other. And Rod Laver was there all week cause he is at the U S open. And so here's a guy, you know, does it in 1969 and still waiting for someone to match him. It's incredible. Yeah. But I thought it again, thought it was a done deal. And I said, before we left, I said to someone, 
not only do I think he's going to win it this year, I think he's going to have a chance to do it again next year because he's got this little window now with Federer and Nadal likely on the way out and before somebody steps up. But now, clearly Medvedev, who was on the verge of doing that, is the guy that's going to keep him from taking that kind of run again. So I still think he's going to stretch it. Djokovic is going to get it to, you know, he's sitting there tied at 20 with the other two. I think he's going to end up with 24, 25. But then again, we said that about Tiger Woods, and, and once it slips the, uh, the other way, then you're waiting, you know, for the, for the next one that, that may never come. So uh, it's hard to make those kind of predictions, but it's pretty difficult to see him not making at least half the finals for the next two years. Okay, let's talk about your day with the Raptors before we talk about the season with the Raptors. What, what, mm. So what's going on this afternoon? Well, it's the draft. We split the games with TSN, 41 each, and uh, we it's basically just like a, a fantasy draft that the network uh, heads get together and, and uh, we have first draft picks, so I'm going to throw it at you guys which game you would take. It's the two that are obvious in uh, opening night. Okay. Raptors haven't been home for a year and a half. The other one is Kyle Lowry's return in March to Toronto. Ooh. So we're going to get one or the other first pick, and likely they're going to take the other one, and then we're off and running with schedules and everything else. But uh, which one do you think is more appealing as a fan? I have my thought immediately. Robin, do you have a thought first on that one? Yeah, I'm going I'm going opening night. I don't know how good the Raptors are going to be this year. There may be less drama by the time Lowry shows up. <laughs> Interesting. Now, and I'm the other way around. I, I think that having Kyle come back is uh, to play his former team is going to be a special night. So – so I don't think we're solving anything for you no. here unless you're going to break the tie. Like, do you have one of those two games in your head that you'd yeah, like to? I, 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 go, I go with the Kyle Lowry and partly, Robin, to bounce on, off of your point, it may help if the Raptors aren't, aren't that good. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be very competitive and in the playoffs. But if the season goes off the rails a bit, then you've got, by that point, if the ratings are dropping, you've got an automatic one in your back pocket. Yeah. Um, he has said, Kyle Lowry gave the promotion of it because he said, oh, man, when I go back to Toronto, he goes, I know I'm going to cry. And he is – Kawhi coming back was very interesting because it was you know, the one year and he delivered that championship and people love him. They will forever. I think it's going to be one of those great stories, you know, 50 years from now. So the guy comes for one year and they win and he leaves. Yep, and it was glorious. Well, everybody will take it. The only championship in the last quarter century in Canada before major sports. But in the case of Kyle, this was heart and soul guy – almost 10 years and you know he loved the city as much as the city loved him it was time to go and i just think it's going to be a really really emotional scene and it'll it'll provide a real boost to the ratings well brad i am a fossil i mean i still think (laughs) i still think vince carter is the greatest raptor ever uh and and his prime time was a long time ago yes he's he's in the mix there's no question and without him the Raptors, who knows if they're even still there. Now they're they're established one of the best franchises in the NBA, and that's across the board. You talk to people in the U.S. to say that. But if Vince Carter had, look what happened in Vancouver. They never got a guy like that. It never lasted, and Vince uh, changed everything. He was unbelievable. Okay, so you're hosting the Sportsnet broadcasts this season again. And uh-huh. so this I don't know if this is a tough or an easy question for you, but is this going to be a season – of rebuild or is this going to be a season of surprise yeah i think i think the latter i think they always surprise the raptors everybody two years ago after they won the championship had them finishing low in the thing they finished with the second best record overall the core of siakam 
Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet is still very, very solid. I think people were disappointed that they didn't take Jalen Suggs when they took Scotty Barnes, but Scotty Barnes fits the Raptor prototype. He's a great kid. He's lengthy. They're going to put a lineup out there some nights where there'll be five guys on the floor, all with the wingspans over seven feet and all at about six, eight. And that's going to be a nightmare for other teams. They play defense harder than almost anybody in the NBA. So I think it's going to be fun because there's a they're they're not rebuilding. There, I would say it's more like a reloading, but they're also one big deal away, which could happen at any time from being right back as a contender. So they're not going away anytime soon, in my mind. Got to ask this because this always pops up every time we talk to somebody for the first time. Although we've chatted numerous times online, but how did you get started before you got to Sportsnet? I was uh, in a newspaper, or I guess radio to begin with. So I went, I went to uh, Mount Royal uh, College, and I played basketball there. I played with a guy named Chris Galas, who's now the lead anchor in Vancouver at Global. He took that route. He quit after a year of basketball, went to broadcasting school, ended up on the fast track. He worked in New York, worked everywhere. He's fantastic. I took the other route where I didn't really care about school. I wanted to play a couple more years, have some fun. And then I finally took, uh, I don't know if it's still even around, the Columbia Academy of Broadcasting. It was a nine-month comprehensive course. Yep. Got me a job in radio, but I was doing news and a little bit of sports, and I had no interest in news. And then covering the, the local school board meetings in Campbell River, B.C. on Vancouver Island, I met the newspaper reporter and she said oh our sports guy just left they're looking for a sports reporter and at that level the writing i was a pretty good writer i wasn't you know not like a, you mentioned cam cole earlier i was not going to be you know at, at cam's level but i um i went uh went over there and, and uh started in in sports writing and then went to Kelowna for five years as a sports writer i loved it did a little bit of radio did color for a rick ball calling the rockets games which color commentary is the best training because play stops and you've got to describe something for 30 seconds and then get out again. It's, it's no script. It was great. And then I just, uh, BCTV, uh, John McKeechee, who I'd played some pickup basketball with legend out there said, you need to do what I'm doing. You need to get down here. And he got me down uh, for an audition and, uh, they were looking to change over and get a little bit younger, a little bit fresher. And the Grizzlies had come along. I knew basketball and they gave me a shot. And, uh, within a year and a half Sportsnet came on the air. And they wanted faces that people didn't know before nationally. And so that was lucky. Just the timing was great for me. And it's been fantastic. I've, uh, you know, the 23 years of Sportsnet coming up. Holy smokes. You know, it's funny. We're talking about uh, the next wave in tennis. And you mentioned uh, John McKeechee. I remember John. uh, I mean, the first time I walked into the Pacific Coliseum, I want to say it was, oh, God, 1982 one or two with my college media pass and there's Jim Taylor and John McKeechee and Bernie Pascal and the legends row. Yeah. I walk in, I'm strutting in like, Hey, I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm here. I'm here to cover the Canucks. Um, and Kelowna, you actually flirted with real journalism in print before going to the uh, yeah. glamour side of the business, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. And uh, I just, you know, we had to write five stories a day and three sidebars and they call me. I mean, it was it was great training in that sense, but it was cool. I like the feel of a working newspaper. It's sad when I went back uh, last time I visited, it was about five years ago, and it's just a couple guys are still there, but wow, it used to yeah. be a real bustling place, you know? Anyway, but it was it was great training. It was really, really fun. So 20, twenty-three years though at Sportsnet, you got to have some favorite moments in that. In that, uh, I'm not saying you're getting close to the end, but 
you got to you, you you got to take a look back at what you've done over 23 years and go, man, that was special. Yeah, well, it's it's easier for me to to uh, earmark them because each time something happened, I thought that that would be the the topper. So the first one was when I went to the Masters. I, I covered four Masters, and um, the first one walking in there, 2004, the year after Weir won it. That stood as the uh, the high water mark until the Olympics in 2010, and got into host primetime with uh, Martin Geyer of our coverage in Vancouver, my hometown at Olympics. I mean, everything that had to come together there, not only your network has to get the Olympics, you have to be selected to do it. And then it ends up being in your hometown. I mean, it was overwhelming. Wow. And I really thought that that was it. I said, I hope something comes along, but I don't think anything ever will. And I say just edging it out was the Raptors winning the championship and, and not so much from a, a personal thing. And yes, you, you become, these guys were a great group and it's the only Toronto team I can cheer for being from out West. I don't like the Leafs. I'm not as much of a baseball guy as I said, uh, even at CFL, I, I hate the Argos being a BC Lions fan, but the Raptors became the team in my household that I can cheer with. I'm not going to be that guy that makes my kids cheer for the Canucks, you know, and go to school and get beaten up because they're not wearing a Leaf jersey. So yeah. you pick your own, but they love the Raptors. And so to be there, and it was 64 straight days that we were either on the air covering the game day shoot around the practices, went all over, and then just to watch, see a championship. It is so rare. And and then posted, uh, you know, the coverage of the parade, or not the hosted, but it was part of the parade coverage couple of days later, that whole experience watching a city go wild and, uh, you know, that topped everything for me. I, I, I totally get it because in 1990, I had a chance to cover home and the road games for the Oilers on their cup run. And, yeah, you're busy. You're insanely busy for two months. And not only do you see them as a hockey team, but you get a chance to, to, to see these guys as guys not hockey players. Yeah. And it just, it, there's something about it. It's a career highlight for me. So I completely get what you're coming, where the area you're coming from here. It's, well, it's pretty neat. I, I tell you, Brad, it's interesting when you mentioned for me, when you mentioned the newspaper background, um, Kelowna, Campbell river, my brother's lived in Campbell river since my mom sold our house when I was a kid. Um, small market you're still doing your it's journalism what i know what you're covering because i i came up at the peace arch news in white rock was my oh, first job and then up to kamloops with ben kuzma and uh, ian mcintyre yeah, and I were there. Well, yeah we probably crossed pat what, what were your years in in kamloops i was there uh 84 to i w i came to edmonton to the journal in december of 89 Okay, so I just missed you yet because I started '91, but yeah. I remember Ian. I just started when Ian got the job in Vancouver, but yeah. Kuzma I think was still there. And I mean that that was a, that paper was legendary. That little building that they, they were the first one to get the new upscale junior hockey building, which everybody ended up getting. But Kamloops was always a treat, and they were that was the days of when I started covering was the days of their you know 14 straight division titles or whatever it was with the Ginla, you know, and all that. I mean, it was a what a what a hockey market that was. Hey, but before we let you go here, uh, do you still have your convertible? Because I met you, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but I remember you were dropping Jamie Campbell oh, off. Royal York. You were dropping, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wrote Royal York down here. Uh, I don't remember yeah. when it was, but you two guys with the breeze blowing in your hair just pulled <laughs> right up. And I yeah. still laugh about it to this day, but that was a long time ago, man. It was. It was right when I first uh, moved out here. Jamie took me up, I think it was up to a friend's uh, cottage. 
for the weekend. We came by. Was he just coming to drop something off to you or say hi or something? I can reckon picture it exactly. But I don't have that convertible. I have had convertible. Now I have a Jeep because uh, when, once you have family, the convertible is <laughs> useless in, uh, in the winter for hockey and stuff like that. But I'm still able to take the roof off. It's got to be. Yeah, now, now you got to make sure your hair is combed. Convertible is yeah. oh, yeah. very bad for that. Out. Yeah, wake up. <laughs> hey, thanks for your time today. We'll have to do this maybe midway through the Raptors season, and good luck with your draft today. I appreciate it. Keep an eye on. I'll tweet which game we got first, and yeah, we'll see who, who wins. So. <laughs> The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Well, as expected, things did slow down on the real estate front in the Metro Edmonton market over the summer. That's no big surprise. We all kind of knew that was coming. Brent's been saying it for months. However, things do tend to pick up a little bit in September and October before we get into the winter months. But if you're finding that your household is a little on the small side right now and your current family roster is growing, then now's a good time to track them down. Give them a call at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, and they can assist you with the sale of your pick or your purchase of your next superstar. You can find them at 780-464-0075 or mcintoshgroup.ca if you want to send them an email, and they would love to chat with you. They can get the process going with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation, no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. It's been really quite strong this year. They're very happy with the way things have gone, both buyers and sellers. Anyway, get a hold of Brent or any of his team members at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Well, that episode went by really, really quick. Big thank you to Brad Fay from Sportsnet for joining us on this episode today. Robin, I, I enjoyed it. I was like talking to guys who have been to places that I've never been to to see what their experience was like, and it sounded like he had a hell of a week. I tell you what, uh, Cooperstown would be on my uh, bucket list as well, for real, all jokes aside. Um, but, yeah. What I found interesting with Brad is he, he, I love it when the, when our guests tell us something we didn't know. And I didn't know that he'd been on the newspaper end of things, both in, uh, in Campbell river and, and Kelowna, everybody's got a story. We have people on who may be national figures and, and very high profile guys. And they started in a lot of the same small places in the small papers, in the small stations with the bad shifts where nobody's listening. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea he dabbled in the print end of things. So I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know that either. I, I knew where he got rolling in Vancouver, but I, I didn't know any of the Campbell River stuff. And I think that that's always fun because we've all kind of gone through our markets like Kamloops or Moose Jaw and loved it and learned a shitload. And uh, so I, I thought that was good stuff today. And we'll see how he does with his NBA draft later today. And he'll be <laughs> tweeting that out, obviously. Hey, uh, before we disappear, there's a couple of things. Uh, one, 
very good friend of ours, Darren DeChishan, is going through a battle with cancer right now. He's taking some time off from his home on television, on my television, your television, everybody's television on TSN. And so, Dutchie, we're sending out our best to you. And uh, he's going to beat this, I know. If there's one thing cancer, how do I want to word this? Cancer picks on some of the wrong people at the wrong time. Cancer's going to get the living shit beat out of him here. Dutchie's going to win this one. And uh, I feel very confident in saying that. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I always enjoyed it when Dutch was here in Edmonton. They would come up to the press box sometimes and do uh, trapper games. I, I referenced the trappers with Brad. And uh, back then, it was ITV, I want to say. Yes, yes. And they'd come up and do broadcasts. And the other thing is, that dirty bugger Dutch, when they had the three-on-three street ball tournaments, yes. we at the Journal, we won the media division one year, we beat Mark Connolly and the CBC guys in the final. Um, we played, we played uh, those guys and they had uh, Perry Solkowski, Darren Detition. Dutch stuck out a knee on me and I ended up in emergency across, across from the parking lot. <laughs> it was in the, it was street ball in the parking lot outside the butter dome and that. Yeah. So I only had a very short way to go to university hospital, but uh, that was funny. We were going at it hard and completely accidental, but uh, yeah, I've missed, uh, I've, I'll get them back someday. Uh, but uh, hey, Dutch, you beat this thing, huh? Everybody's in your corner out this way. few things we got to say before we wrap up. Uh, thank you very much for all the feedback that you send our way. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe or follow us on our feed, on your favorite ear candy site, uh, the RSS feed. Make sure that you get every new episode when we release it on Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer, et cetera, et cetera. We're also on YouTube in an audio version. But like I said, your support is greatly appreciated. And uh, we'd also be thrilled to talk to potential advertising partners. We have a few people that we're going to be chatting with over the next few weeks, looking to add some new features as well. So if you'd like to sponsor one, give us a shout. And uh, I, I sense we're going to get bigger and better with your support because it seems to be working that way. The growth over the uh, last few months has been quite noticeable. So the biggest issue, the, the big issue for me is, Keep retweeting to your buds. That's the best way to get the messaging out from us. And uh, once again, a big, huge thank you. Robin, I think that's about it. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think I'm good, man. All right. Big thank you to Brad Fay from Sportsnet for joining us today. Robin, talk to you next week. You sure will, pal. Storm in the castle.